Hey, and welcome to All Things Renovation with Brandy the Boss Lady and Paul the Wood Magician. We're a fun-loving couple who eat, breathe, and live all things renovation, and we'll be your hosts on this podcast. We created the podcast to help you take a confident role in your renovation dreams and get your project done right, on time, on budget, and with quality craftsmanship. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you happen to be. Lovely, lovely people who are listening to this podcast. Uh, I am super excited to have Simon Daphne on. Did I say that right? Daphne? Daphne. Yeah, there we go. Um, The show today, uh, as a fellow uh, GC, who's also Canadian. um, So I'm just going to read off his bio because, you know, he's kind of an interesting fellow. So Simon is an author, entrepreneur, and a business owner with nearly 20 years of experience in the residential renovation and construction industry in Ontario, Canada. Over the years, Simon has worked with hundreds of clients and led teams of employees and subtrades and was even featured in HGTV's Marriage Under Construction in season four. He's known for his reliability, attention to detail, and quality workmanship. Simon successfully operated a home renovation business in Toronto, Canada, completing projects ranging from home additions, custom kitchens, bathrooms, and cabinetry, finished basements, and unique outdoor spaces. Well, it sounds like you ran the gambit of what most of us in the renovation world do. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, you're an author. I love this because I am also, you know, podcaster. I'm writing some stuff myself. And I would love to talk to you more about your, your, your current book that is available. Um, and it is really basically uh, a guide for homeowners who are looking to get into renovation. Uh, the title of the book is Home in Good Hands, A Homeowner's Guide to Construction and Renovation, which is fabulous. It's very clear. It tells people exactly what it's about. Um, and I did actually read the majority of it. I mean, I skimmed a few things here and there, but... Um, it is a fantastic book, so I would highly recommend that anybody who's listening um, consider checking it out. But Simon, tell me, why did you decide to write a book in the first place? Um, I decided to write the book. It's something I've been wanting to do for quite some time now. I just, quite frankly, hadn't been able to take the time to sit down and, and write. But um, I found that I was constantly kind of explaining the same questions to my clients about the construction process, um, about how to read and understand my quotes and contracts, which were usually quite detailed, um, which I thought was important to make sure everybody has all the information they need. Um, So my initial thought would, as I would write like a, a short, almost like a pamphlet that I would give out on a sales meeting, uh, to a potential client so they could familiarize them, themselves with um, sort of the most important points I felt um, they needed to know. And then, um, as you know already, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, um, I sort of changed directions with my life in the last year or so, and it allowed me some extra time in which I could write. And when I started writing the book, um, I decided to add some extra extra chapters in there, not just about the construction process, uh, but also about, um, yeah, finding a contractor. Um, I kind of, I take my experience from searching and finding and hiring subtrades, and I've kind of spun that around and, and created like a, a, a basic system that um, a client could use or a homeowner could use to find a contractor. Um, so that wouldn't have been something I initially I would have done because I would have already been on a sales meeting and those people would have been in that process already. And then I decided also to add a chapter about becoming an ideal client because now I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back from, <laughs> from um, contracting in Canada. So um, I've kind of, when I wrote that chapter, I felt maybe it could have been a little controversial because I'm, I'm telling people how to be a good client. So 
as someone who's now not going to be hired by them, I feel like I can, I could do that, but that wouldn't have been something that I would have been like, Hey, here, here's some tips on how you can be good to me. I kind of think so. Um, but that would probably rub people the wrong way. So, but given the, the current kind of context and the format of the book, I felt like it was uh, an applicable chapter because there's some important information in there. I think, um, a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, a contract or a homeowner relationship is a two-way street. And if you have a good relationship with that person uh, as the homeowner to the contractor, it can be a lifelong relationship. And then you don't have to spend all that time trying to get another contractor and worrying about pricing. And you just know you have someone who's reliable and it's like a mutually beneficial relationship, right? They can just call on you and they need something. As I'm sure you have, you have probably a lot of repeat clients uh, as I did as well. Um, I, I call them repeat offenders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. So yeah, so that was kind of the reason why I decided to write the book. It's um, I feel like there's a general knowledge out there that most people just don't have, and, and it can be overwhelming for a homeowner to take on a construction project, and all you have to do is do a little Googling, and it's just all kind of nightmare stories, you know, of jobs gone awry, and contractors walking away with money, and things taking forever, and costing more, and yeah, I just wanted the, the book to be a guide to give that knowledge so people kind of know what have a better idea what they're getting into and then they can focus on like what they actually want out of the project they're not worrying about all those kind of details because if you can hire a good contractor they, they handle a lot of that construction process but if you already know then you're not wondering you know why you're hanging drywall sheets a certain way like you know it's it's kind of you know a lot of the homeowners get bogged down I find in in those details when really they need to be focusing on their role which often you know it's picking finishes and and making sure their design is coming together if they haven't you know hired a designer um i mean a lot of a lot of my clients were homeowners who who took an active role in in picking their finishes and paint colors and trim profiles and i i helped them out with that obviously but um yeah most most of my clients didn't hire designers i did work with some on certain projects but uh, as a general rule, it was mostly the homeowners who were doing that. So I felt like the, this resource could have been, you know, valuable to them. So, yeah, so I had some time and I decided to write it. So for the, for the people that haven't read the book yet, or maybe won't read the book, what um, top, say, two, three things on the client side did we, did you note in, in the book that makes them uh, be good clients? Um, uh, personal boundaries were, was one of them for sure. Um, you know, not, not sending texts and emails out in the middle of the night, you know, nothing is, is all is really that urgent unless you literally have like a leak of some sort or, you know, electrical issue that's really affecting your house. Then, then, you know, then obviously, um, yeah. And just, just to, yeah set some boundaries and know that, you know, the, your contractor has family and extracurricular activities they want to do and they have a life outside their work. So that was, um, that was a big one. Um, ensuring that you have uh, a contingency, uh, a budget um, contingency. So you're not ever strained on, on your pricing and you, and you have a little bit of leeway for things that pop up because, um, you know, construction and, and, and stuff happens. Yeah, and and no matter how you know you you can come in and a contractor can anticipate certain things, but sometimes you know you just there's surprises in the walls and in the floors and ceilings and stuff and and um, yeah, and you just need that little bit of extra so you're not stressed out right when when that time comes. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily give themselves that you know. Yeah. Um, so those, I think those are the two main ones. I have, I have quite a few listed in, in the book, but I feel like those are two of the most important yeah. ones for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, I mean, like I say, I, I mean, I read through the book and, and lots of really good things in there. And many of them are like, we're on the same page, you know, we're on the same ship, on the same train. Um, you know, I, I um, for those who are listening, go back to the foundation uh, series because I talk a lot about all of the same sort of things here 
Um, so it's great that, you know, I'm talking to somebody here who has exactly the same kind of experience as I do, and we're all kind of on the same wavelength. Um, yeah, the, yeah it's, the book's very much just like kind of biased toward a contractor to somebody because I wrote it, you know, as one, but um, yeah. yeah but I mean, there's been... still really good information in there and some resources and um, all of that kind of thing that people could potentially utilize. And I think it's, it's yeah. like, I mean, like a lot of people don't have any experience renovating at all when when they first sort of meet you for the most part. I mean, some people have some experience, but many don't. And nobody really knows what to expect. They just think, oh, it's kind of like having a baby. We're just going to have a baby. And then like, you know, there's all these things that happen and like, you know, what to expect afterwards. And until you live it, you just don't know it. So, you yeah. know, having some resource that talks about the, the process and what to expect and like managing those expectations, um, both on the client side and the contractor side, sets everybody up for success. So I, I that's part of the reason why I started the podcast. Yeah. And obviously part of the reason why you start like wrote this book. So, you know, I just think it's, it's fabulous. I mean, people need to, um, I guess, take responsibility and accountability for their own side of the equation there, just like what you're talking about exactly, earlier. And sometimes yeah. that's something that people don't really understand within what their role is other than like just telling you or me or whoever, what my decisions are around what appliances or tile or whatever, but you know, there's, there's other things involved there. Right. And having that communication piece and like what you were talking about with having really detailed quotes or proposals, basically giving people a lot of information and quantifying things helps everybody at the end of the day, because this is now the foundational piece of the communication that everything else does. Yeah. So things like exactly. chambers and, you know, whatever, if, you know, you just say, oh yeah, pot lights everywhere, but you didn't quantify how many pot lights, you know, they're thinking that I'm getting 30 and we're thinking, no, we're giving you 10. And then somewhere along yeah. the line, there's like this disconnect and that's where contractors get a bad rap, but also clients have a part to play in that as well. Right. So um, yeah. I think all, all of these sort of these resources and things are, um, can be extremely beneficial and helpful for both sides of the equation. Yeah, agreed. And, and and you have the I I always see it. I've been I've been on HGTV show. The sort of negative influence of TV and how it it kind of definitely glosses over a lot of these planning and like the communication that is involved in a, a you know a large scale project and and they have you know and the speed in which it takes you know things just yeah. arrive and are installed. And they literally will have continuity I, in shootings that they would call me up and they would say, hey, you have to wear that red shirt in those blue pants that you were wearing like six weeks ago. Because yeah. we're going to piece this together to make it look like it, it's like all in a row. But it's there's like there's been weeks of, of, of space between. Yeah. And I kind of I kind of screwed them up one day because I shaved my face and they called me up because I had a little bit of a beard and, and they called me up and they said, you got to wear this. You know, and I said, okay. And then I just showed up and they were all like, no. And I was like, what? I wear, like, the, I wear the clothes you asked. Like you shaved, you shaved your face. And it literally like in the cuts, it goes me bearded, non-beard and then bearded again. Cause they just <laughs> like the way they cut. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I, I often say to people um, that HGTV or like any renovation show on TV or whatever show uh, platform it's on, um, these shows are super contrived and it's, they're kind of like porn. I, I'm like, I, it's like some are good, some are bad, but all of it is not real. Yeah. Like, like it's, just, it's just not real. So, yeah. you know, once you kind of put it in that context, people go, oh yeah, no, I'm watching this for entertainment value, not to get the real goods on the timeline and how much it costs and, you know, the, the hassles and this and that that occur. Well, so, you know, a lot of the time they get blown out of proportion just so there's a narrative for a story there, not that this is actually occurring or that it's even that big a deal. Yeah, so I agree. I, yeah. I usually, you know, when people start talking to me about, you know, these on TV shows and stuff, I'm like, mm -mm, not real. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and I, I usually get a lot of giggles when I say it's like porn because I'll like, yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, this is a good analogy. <laughs> it is, right? And we, we all know exactly what all of this is. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about why you chose to go on a TV show in the first place, knowing all that we know about the construction field. Uh, I was much younger. So this was now like, 
I don't even know, at least, uh, yeah, over 10 years ago now. Um, so it, it was kind of a serendipitous turn of events. Uh, my The person I was working for at the time, it was kind of midsummer and he had run short on some work. And just as that, that was happening, I got a call from, it's essentially my friend's cousin's cousin. He was going to be on the show and he was, and uh, the format of the show was usually a couple who was like going to be married or newly married where they buy a house and they renovate it. Um, for this season, they changed that up because the, the husband or the fiance was a contractor, but he needed um, some extra hands, some extra help. So he was kind of put out a call to his network. And yeah, I received that call essentially, and it just kind of worked. So I said, yeah, I'm going to fill my time with this show. And then the show ended up being like eight months of recording. So um yeah, I ended up just working on that. And then that actually, so my that my boss at the time had called me like a couple months later and asked me to come back. And I just told him I, you know, I've sort of committed to the show now and I was enjoyed, enjoying doing it. And um, yeah, and then that's actually kind of what set me off as like a self-employed person. After that, after the show ended, I just went off and did and started my own, my own company. So um at the time, I didn't really know how how sort of full of fluff the oh, you know the HGTV shows were. So so it was definitely like a learning experience too at the time, and uh, yeah, a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, they're waiting and waiting, waiting, and they're like, okay, now quick, demo this room really quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After we sat around for three hours, <laughs> um, so it was interesting for sure. But uh, yeah, so it was just sort of like a, a interesting turn of events, and that I just you know, just took, took advantage of an opportunity really. So. Very cool. So um, for those who were listening to the bio and, and whatnot, Simon's no longer doing his thing in Toronto, Canada. And nope. um, this is where it gets really interesting. So yes, we all are interested in renovation and this and that and the other building and so forth, but how do we do it in a different location? And this is a good part of why I wanted to have Simon on the show today, because he and his family have moved down to Belize uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, just personal and, you know, let's live in a different manner and, and all that kind of stuff, and life, lifestyle choices. Um, but you also took on building down in Belize. And I can only imagine how challenging doing something in a completely different location that's international where there's different building codes and ex expectations and all that kind of stuff um how challenging that must have been if you didn't know anything about construction to begin with and then even when you do know how to navigate all of that so share with me a little bit more about the the discussion around the logistics why they're the, the buying as a non-patriot um, choosing contractors, being able to move down there, all that kind of stuff. Because I mean, obviously Belize is the location you're in, but many other people have chosen to like, whatever, <clears throat> pardon me, snowbirds, like they buy something in Phoenix or Florida or whatever, and they need to also address, you know, renovation or maintenance or whatever in, in the States. Or maybe people are going to like buy like that $1 castle in Europe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and renovated or whatever. So, I mean, there's going to be some things that are really Belize specific that I think you talk about, but I mean, a lot of it would be transferable as well. So I yeah, just like start with why Belize and, and, and then logistics around like buying property and, and building and everything down there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, first, but for, so why Belize? Um, First of all, it's really close. It's just south of Mexico and borders Guatemala. So it's actually really not too far. Um, right now in high season, uh, which goes from November to eight, end of April, there's direct flights from, from Canada. So uh, from Toronto and from Calgary, you can fly. And from Toronto, it's just over a four hour flight. Um, so that's nice and it's close. Um, I actually drove down here too. It wasn't like, it took seven, well, that's a whole other story, but it was supposed to take seven days. Um, uh, it's English speaking. 
that's a, another another big one. Um, they allow foreign buyers. Uh, they they have a very like open uh, land ownership kind of policy here, um, and as well as just moving money in and out of the country is not. I know maybe this could be because. I'm Canadian and they're part of the Commonwealth as well. Um, that I'm not exactly sure about, but uh, it, it's it's not like other countries like Barbados, where if you move your money there and then you want to say sell, your money is, they have a, a, a limit to how much you can withdraw every year from that country. So if you were to you know sell a house for millions of dollars, it's going to take de- like over a decade to get all your money out. Uh, in, in Belize here, they don't have anything like that. You can you can purchase, and if you sell, you just you can just take all the all your money. Um, taxes are very low here, um, especially property tax. Um, that wasn't really a reason, but that was just a kind of a benefit of coming down here. Um, the affordability of land here at the time it is certainly increased in the last couple of years since we purchased. Uh, but we are literally 200 feet from the Caribbean Sea, and it was like a very affordable price for, for how close we were uh, compared to, say, pretty much anywhere else in North America, even like in Ontario. We had looked up in northern Ontario initially because we wanted just to kind of move and have our own land, and it was still hundreds of thousands of dollars and you were in the middle of nowhere, Ontario, and you're, then you're dealing with brutal winters, you know, and it's still a five, six hour, um, like trip for somebody. Uh, it's a whole day essentially still. Right. So, um, those were all definitely factors. Um, yeah, like we're essentially we have Caribbean sea, just 200 feet from us. And then, a canal in the back that goes out to a lagoon uh, so we're like kind of bordered with water and yeah to get something like that in Canada is practically well I mean I don't want to say non-existent but you can do it but you have to be quite wealthy essentially yeah, yeah. and um yeah, so you bought, you bought something there, down right. there and then you decide to build so yep. how did you go about that whole process looking for contractors and like basically taking your own advice about being a good client and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we like finding a contractor down here is, um, is definitely tough. Um, just even it's kind of like wild west down here, even with land purchasing and stuff like that. Um, they don't, anybody can become a real estate agent here. Um, you don't have any sort of qualification. You can just walk into a real estate office. If they're hiring, they hire you and you're an agent and you can start buying and selling properties for people. Um, they, but they also have squatting rights still here. So you have to be very careful when you do purchase because some people will be have squatted on the land. I think the, the it's seven years before the, you then own it. Um, so people will, will be on the land for years, five, six years, don't actually have title yet, but then they sell the property. Um, and then, so when the time comes, somebody does own it. Um, it could be government, but it becomes this big ordeal to then claim, you know, someone has paid for it, but someone's been squatting and technically the squatter still has the rights. So it becomes like very murky. And we know people who yeah, haven't used agents and as a result, they purchased from homeowner or the owner, quote unquote, and they didn't actually own it. So, uh, so you definitely want to use an agent here. So we, and it's kind of the same with contractors. You, you know, there's really no way of unless you come down here and you're, you know, you've been down here for years and you know the community. It's the only way you're really going to know who the contractors are that are good. So we use one, a recommended contractor from our real estate agent. Um, He had built her house uh, or was part of the crew that built her house. And then he had since struck out on his own and was doing, and so it was doing good work. And we had met him um, previously and we just, we got got on really well with him. And yeah, you, you have to take a little bit of a gamble because you don't really know exactly who you're you're dealing with per se and um but we, we felt really comfortable uh with him and we did we interviewed several others um you know you can just go around the sites and be like hey i'm looking to build and people will give you their information but 
um, that was, uh, yeah, he definitely was, we felt was the most reliable and knowledgeable and he came well recommended, which was the main thing. Um, you yeah, know, if you take sort of something that. from my book, that is, that's the thing it was, yeah. he was referred by a reputable person and we could see his work and he actually took me around when I was here prior to us moving down here. I came and, and went and met with builders and contractors and he took me around to some of the job sites. I saw his active projects. I saw what uh, he was working on and I met the clients, his clients and had conversations with them. So it was very like I was very confident um in in choosing him essentially but yeah there's still always that you just don't know right you don't yeah you're not, well, you're not familiar this exact what you're talking about here is more or less what we recommend to people anywhere right you use your yep. work your connections you interview them you go look at some of their work maybe um talk to some previous clients like like all all of those things are sort of on that checklist of ideas or things that we often recommend to to people who are looking to find a contractor. And that's something that I talk about a lot as well. And like, okay, you're talking to me, but who else are you talking to? And, you know, where'd you find them? And how can we, um, you know, have a, a really good conversation? And, you know, I'll often say, let's go and do a field trip. We'll go look at a couple of different places that we're working on or somebody that we, we finished. And, you know, here's the website and, you know, blah, 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 like all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like a very familiar process to, you know, basically you've just taken and done it down there. So yep. as far as like that actual building um, goes and the different techniques and um, expectations around what is included, not included, um, you know, you and I had a, a brief conversation not too long ago, and it was interesting that you brought up a couple of things around, okay, here, we're building you this house, but some things were, are not included and you, you just needed to be really clear on what was included and not included so share with me a little bit more about that or for the listeners because I already kind of know the story yep yep um so I'll, I guess I'll just preface it with um so the contractor we hired he just did our foundation uh because we opted to do prefabricated construction um there's a Mennonite community here in the north of the country and they build quite nice hardwood homes uh, and then they put them on the back of the truck, a truck and they drive them down and then they plop them onto the foundation. Um, they will put in wood posts for you if you want that option. We opted to do um, like a concrete, uh, like a series of concrete piers with a concrete slab and then we filled it in under, underneath the cinder block. Um, but uh, the prefab construction option is, is much cheaper than having it built on site. A lot of these companies also have their own milling and like forestry kind of wings. So they literally like cut down their own trees and mill their lumber. So lumber cost, they're not really subjected to the lumber pricing and in, you know, fluctuations that you know, North America has experienced in the last couple of years. Uh, so it was definitely like a cheaper, a cheaper option. And we, and we ran the, the project by the other contractor to compare pricing. And he's like, I can't build it for that. So mm -hmm. for, the, for what these, these other companies could do. So um, yeah, so we went with the Mennonites. And so, yeah, they definitely do things differently down here. The, uh, I don't even want to say a North American standard because um, I feel like bathrooms and kitchens are included, which we found typically aren't here with their homes. So, right, which is like super bizarre. Like, what you need to cook, you need to like wash, and all that kind of stuff. I would have just assumed it was included. Yeah, and and tons of people do, and and that and again, it's like the housing is is cheap, but then when you also consider, yeah they don't include these things. And it's because it's still, you know, a developing country here. There's still areas of the country, I would say that are like third world standard. And a lot of people don't cook in their house. They cook on a little fire pit or something out. You know, they'll have a little cinder block kind of stove that, you know, with a grill that they'll cook on and they have an outhouse. So they don't literally, they literally don't have kitchens and bathrooms in their homes. Yeah. And, and again, like they can't afford the utilities to have gas. And again, cooking with gas inside is also really hot here. 
it's hot outside as it is, it can raise the temperature inside your home to like 40 degrees when you're cooking with a gas stove, which we found in the place we were renting here before our house came. We opted to do electric stove for that exact reason. It's a little bit more on electricity, but again, you're not, you're not then running your AC to cool down the heat produced from the gas stove. So uh, we feel that it was like probably a, a cheaper option. Um, and we have two young kids, so it's safer too for that. But, um, and then there's also standards of quality that just are completely different. Uh, insulation is a huge one. They don't, they don't typically insulate. So it's just hollow voids. And then when the sun hits that for wood frame construction, at least, um, and um, subfloor. That was another big one. Um, yeah. They have, they mill their own pl wood plank flooring and they lay that directly on the joists and that's it. So it's almost sim like very similar to like, you know, turn of the century in North America. Uh, but even then they would put like that vinyl stuff over top or the asbestos back stuff, right? Even back then they did that, but it was more akin to that where you would have, you know, like a painted wood plank floor. Um, but, there's the quality of their the quality of the wood is really good but they don't do like tongue and groove flooring like we do back home so the boards tend to like kind of you know expand and contract and there's these gaps and you can literally see outside so we have a friend they did an amenite build as well and yeah they had some expansion and contraction in their floor and you can sit in their in their like living area and you can see through a crack in the floor the outside and which obviously isn't great for bugs and heat loss or say i guess air conditioning loss which is the transfer of heat uh, into the home so we were adamant on we were aware of these things so we were adamant on and so we ins insulated the ceiling we insulated the walls we put subfloors in um part of the reason we also want to do subfloors was um so like there's zero zero clearance transitions between tile and hardwood because otherwise you would just tile on top of that sub or that finished hardwood floor and then you would have whatever you're edging you know yep. from that height difference which we did not want um you know we got again two young kids they're tripping hazard and that's yep. just yep. again it's it's also my kind of quality standard from back home like i would never do that for anybody back home uh well, you, you know it's always as level as you can possibly get it right so yeah, yeah. um or as flush as you possibly you can possibly get it so we we were really adamant on having having those things uh put in and it's and it's made a big i think it's made a big difference here we we notice you know we have our electrical bill is you know less or the same i should say as what we um, we're paying in the rental that we had rented, which was again, a Mennonite build with zero insulation, but it, it's only like that was 800 square feet. And now we have almost 15 and it's the same. So uh, it's definitely made a big difference. Um, this, this sounds like a bit of a story of when you're looking at your proposal or your quote, like here's all the things that are included and you need to be looking at for the holes. What, what are the things that are not included? And, yeah. um, you know, oftentimes like people don't know what's not included, but really we should. <laughs> um, but, and as a, as a homeowner, oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. So you don't even know what to ask. So yeah. again, like doing some research ahead of time, talking to the builder, asking specific questions around, is this included? Is that not included? Or just asking the general question of what is not included? Like, what am I like? What is the, this finished product going to be? And what do I need to know? What do I need to make decisions on? And are there like ads to what your base package is so that you have a, a much better understanding of where the costs are, what you're actually going to be getting, meeting those expectations, all of those things? It just sort of seems like, okay, if you don't even know what you don't know, like just start asking. I don't yeah, know. How to and, Can you tell me what and, I'm missing here? Right. Yeah, and you have to ask a ton of questions and you have to ask the same questions in different ways because even though it is English speaking here, there's still a, like a language a, like barrier. It's just like a cultural one. It's just the way in which they, you know, the people here interact with each other and like they just don't offer up additional information. If you, if you don't ask, it could seem super obvious 
to be like, oh, oh, you're asking a question about this. Well, I can give you like this little bit of related information. They just won't do that. So when you when you're an example of that is um, this isn't really a construction related example, but it, it kind of highlights what I'm talking about. We have to go to um, immigration every month and renew our visitor permit. And we are going to be applying for a, temper, uh, a permanent residency. So we need a paperwork about that. And we, and we asked, can we do the application process here? And they said, no. And I said, okay, where do I do that? And they told me where. And then I ended up asking sometime after, oh, do you have the, any paperwork related to that? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. We have this massive package of all the information you need to know about the residency process. But they didn't think to offer that up when I was asking about the residency process, not to be like, oh, hey, like, Yona, you don't do that here, but here's all the information you need for this process. So it's, 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 it's things like that. So you, it's really important just to ask as many questions as possible in as many different ways as you think you can. Because um, a lot of the time, too, yeah, like they just don't especially for the builds, like they, they just aren't aware of what you're expecting, yeah. like to any, to any degree. So like, they won't even think to offer up to certain things because they don't necessarily do it like subfloor. That was something we had to be like, yeah, we want. And they were like, oh, well, what do we, like, what do we use for that? Like I had to kind of tell them, I said, well, we usually use like plywood and they're like, okay, well, you know, what thicknesses do we want? Like they just, you know, it's not something they do at all. Um, so yeah, so it's been, the question asking has been, it gets tiresome sometimes, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, yeah, you just have to ad nauseum, just question after question in different ways. And yeah, and eventually you'll get to, to the answers that you were hoping to get, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, just, there's, it, every ge geographic location, um, is going to have no matter where you are a little bit of a different even like a bylaw difference between different cities even in north america or um building code from one jurisdiction to another so in canada we're talking about provinces and the states we're talking about the states um you know differences from you know texas to washington are going to be different partly because of the, the climate change differences and all that kind of stuff. Even across Canada, we have different um, sort of building code because, you know, maybe here in the lower mainland and in, in Vancouver, you know, we don't get a lot of snow. So, you know, there's not a huge amount of, I mean, we have regulations around, you know, proper roof assemblies and all that kind of stuff so that we, you know, can address our snow load and blah, blah, blah. But we don't really get like 10 feet of snow here a year. So, our requirements for you know that kind of uh, assembly are not going to be as robust as something that is maybe back east where they are going to be getting that much snow load every year and maybe a little bit further up north and all that kind of thing so you know even within our own country <laughs> there's differences in yeah. how the code is applied and, and what the codes are and all that kind of thing and just again extrapolating to um an international location they too are going to have their standard building practices and their codes if they have them depending on where you're, yeah. where you're at if it's a wild west situation or not um but yeah i mean like just overall like every jurisdiction is going to have a slightly different um sort of expectation around what is built and how it's built and what the, the quality and the workmanship and all that sort of thing is so i'm, I'm yeah. sure that you've been finding all of that um, a little bit challenging too right yeah, and there isn't really, um, like the building department here is very new. Uh, so we had visited here in, in March of 2020, uh, just before COVID. And at the time, they didn't have, uh, like you didn't need permits to build. Uh, you could just kind of build, whatever, unless it was like a resort or something, and it was going to be a business, then you kind of had to have a business license first, and then you could build the structure for your business. Uh, but as far as like residential, that it, that wasn't even really a thing. So there's only, it's still very new uh, as far as like inspections. Like we haven't had an inspection here that there's only something like a handful, like six inspectors or seven inspectors for the entire country. Wow. Um, so they're like, they're not really inspecting all that much. Uh, every now and then they kind of, they show up on a, on a site kind of randomly. But um, 
Yeah, and so as far as codes, it's I it's tough to say. Like really, if they, you know, it wouldn't be like back home. You know, we have the Ontario Building Code, and you can look it up online, and it's you know, or if you were to buy it, it's like you know, four inches thick. Uh, I, they don't have anything like that here. Um, even even with certain um, standards around um, like hurricane prevent uh, not prevention hurricane uh, like mitigation essentially um so all the rafters here and everything they're like heavy steel brackets bolted you know to through the rafter through the top plate uh but even then there's like there's additional things you can do for wood frame construction so we opted to they'll install threaded rod and they'll and they'll literally like sandwich with a massive like nut and washer on either end through the top and the bottom plate. So, and then the threader rod goes right down through and they'll do that on the corners. So like four feet from or so from every corner and then every eight feet along the structure. So that, so that just helps to keep everything essentially together. And then your rafters are bolted to your top plate as well. So it becomes quite sturdy. Like these are like quarter inch steel L brackets with like half inch bolts through hard hardwood raft like um, two by eight rafters like they're it's pretty substantial the so, the Mennonites yeah. here all like brag about oh you know we've never lost a, a house to a hurricane now they don't get tons of hurricanes here really um, they do come but not not like some of the other Caribbean islands where they get hit like multiple times a year it's if, if they get hit in a year or it can be decade before they get yeah. uh, a hurricane well, here, I mean, but it kind of it sounds a little bit like our um earthquake sort of code around here and, and down down the pacific coast um you know just having you know your your plates from your wood framing uh walls you know bolted to the foundational concrete um and all that kind of stuff and and um yeah so i mean jurisdictionally just i mean again climate wise or wherever you happen to be uh you know there's going to be things that are a little bit different here and there so whether you're uh going to belize or somewhere else down in the tropics or if you're going to go to europe there's going to be things there i mean obviously in europe they're going to have much more um similar process to building code and all that kind of stuff and of course if you're having something that's heritage related uh you know you open up a whole other can of worms yeah. lots of lots of rules and regulations around that and you've got to you know jump through all of those hoops and all that kind of thing so it can be somewhat stressful i've heard from other people um yeah, but, uh, yeah I, mean, I feel like in in another in another country where they actually have like an established building department you would be as a foreign buyer and someone who's going to build it, it would be it, I kind of see it as like it would be a little bit easier but some but more work because you would have obviously a whole other building code you'd have to like learn and become familiar with because it'll dictate what you can build but it'll be easier in the sense that they have an established department or a, gov a governing body that can actually supply you that information yeah. so like here you're just there's there's really nowhere you can't just go to the the police building authority and expect <laughs> to really get yeah. any yeah valuable information from them it's yeah. just it's not it's not going to happen so um so yeah so you're just kind of relying on your architect make you know and hoping that they are building to a certain standard for here yeah. um and your contractor that he's following that plan essentially of what is required yeah so i like i just just broadening that out to you know other countries and things and I was, that's sort of why I was kind of circling back into hey just find out where you're, what the local building rules and regulations are and if you happen to be somewhere where there aren't any then great do what you've done and then if there are then you've really got to go down that path and make sure that you understand all those bits and pieces or that your um, contractor and architect and so forth do so um, we when we were chatting like whatever a couple weeks ago uh, we talked about the fact that through your experience now you're looking at writing another book and or maybe a part way through it already and also looking at potentially becoming um like a, a consultant as well as a home inspector for yep. the area that you live in so yeah yeah so um yeah tell, the book tell me, tell me a little bit about like i mean obviously we i think we've talked to a bunch about your experience down there um, and my guess is that you're going to be bringing all those 
tidbits of, of intel into a book now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. Um, I kind of have like a working title at the moment. It's called Outside Outside the Box, um, but ex or a Foreigner's Guide to Buying and Building Your Dream Home. Something something along those lines. Something along. But, uh, I, yeah, um, and yeah. So my thought would be to in writing this book is to just especially like we have so many people we have coming and asking us questions and cause I know I'm a contractor. Um, so it would just be providing a resource for people here as well as really anyone who's in a similar situation of buying abroad and thinking about building, um, just giving them a, a kind of an overarching idea or like um, overarching plan on how to, to go about this process and the things to consider. Um, yeah, because we haven't even really touched on at all too, like um, like a electrical service and um, where you get your water, if it's municipal rain catchment, uh, if you're going to do solar, some places have to do solar, like out here on all the keys of the islands, like that's all, there's no service out there. You have to be wholly self-sustained. Um, so yeah, so the, the plan is to um, have that book and have it as a resource and um, make it available to anybody who's kind of interested in, in taking on this kind of journey. And and then for, for here, once I get my residency and can work, um, I'll be looking to start a consultancy. So I would be helping foreign buyers uh, with their builds and just essentially briefing them on how to manage and what to expect here in Belize because it's definitely its own thing. As I found, as someone experienced, you know, experienced contractor in Canada, there were still some some surprises here uh, for us. Um, and then I get, and then I will be looking to to start um, a home inspection agency as well because the a lot of the land here is being purchased and bought up and developed, and in probably another year or two, there's going to be very little vacant land to to build homes on so the real estate market will shift to you know this resale of pre-existing buildings uh which will need to be in inspected um just again and do that for foreign buyers so they can just know essentially what they're going to be purchasing and what they're going to be getting into um yeah when they uh when they buy here yeah cool well i feel like you know we've kind of run the gamut of what I wanted to talk about. Was there anything that you wanted to bring up or share with us that maybe we haven't touched on quite yet? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've kind of hit all the, all the bases and yeah. Um, so what I like to do before I close out the show is I like to ask a couple of fun questions of the people that come on. So, um, the two I normally ask are maybe not exactly relevant um, because, you know, one of them is, are you handy? And what is, if, <laughs> yeah. oh, actually, I actually hate that word. I hate that word. I'm like, I'm skilled. I'm not handy. I'm skilled. You're skilled. Um, <laughs> so because you're so skilled, what's your favorite tool? Oh, what is my favorite? I like two, three. I think, yeah, I would say it's, my my multi-tool i had um a fane i think that's how you say it or fine fine tool you know yeah. though yeah they that thing it was a corded one and it was a beast and you can do so much with those things um you know plunge cutting sanding um it, like scraping you know cleaning up tile grout lines like if you have to like all sorts of 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 applications with that tool there they are invaluable, really. And then I also love uh, my track saw. I think that thing is, um, it, again, it's just, it can, uh, it ups your level of precision um, in a lot of applications. And um, I've used it for cabinetry, for putting subfloors in, for, you know, sheathing walls, roofs, like all sorts of stuff. And uh, I've cut like cement board with it. You can get, you know, different blades. You can cut melamine with it. Like you can just do, and it just cuts dead straight. And that, you know, zero friction track, you know, you can don't even need a clamp at half the time. It's, um, yeah, it's, those are probably my two, my two favorite tools for sure. 
yeah, no, I'm down with both of those. Um, and then the second one I ask is usually like, what would you like to change or renovate most in your own home? But you're, you've just built a house. So is there anything that you would have liked to have done different maybe is a better question or maybe there's some stuff that you haven't completed yet. So what would you want that to be? Um, yeah, we're really happy with our overall design. We, we had designed it ourselves and then we gave it to the Mennonite builder and then they just essentially sent it off to our architect to officially do plan. So our, we really thought about our plan. So we are really happy with the overall, I would say generally, I would have might have might have got larger water tanks, the water systems for rain catchment. Uh, I would have gone like the biggest ones possible. We're in a really like long dry spell here right now. Uh, although we got a big storm last night, which was nice. But, but um, yeah, I would do that. And then we have a couple of projects coming up. We have plans to put in a pool. We had a, we brought a shipping container down, so we've reserved that bin for a pool essentially. So we have a deck that kind of comes out. It's partially built right now uh, we have to extend it out to where that shipping container is and we're going to have like a, a shipping container pool and then as well as a we want to build a they're called palapa it's like a thatched roof uh, hut here but they can some of them are really tall so this will be like a 30 or 40 foot tall tower and with that we'll be able to see out nice beautiful view of the Caribbean Sea, but then we'll also get to see out to the lagoon and then the Mayan mountains, which are on the other side of the lagoon. So those are two things that we have planned uh, and we're really excited about. They're not, we're not probably ready to do those yet, but um, yeah, eventually we're gonna do those and we've kind of, they're, they're in the plan, we've reserved the space for them. So um, it's just a matter of time, but uh, yeah, we're excited uh, to eventually have those in for sure. Well, those are two really, really great projects. I'm sure that it will, you know, broaden the the amount of enjoyment you get out of the property that you have. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, okay, Simon. You know, it's been really great having you on the show. I've, I've loved our conversation. I think there's some really great nuggets for people who are listening to consider when they're, you know, maybe flirting with the idea of like moving or building abroad or renovating abroad. Um, so for those of you who are listening, uh, we will have Simon's first book in the show notes. When his second one is ready, circle back from time to time. We'll put that in the show notes as well when it's ready to go. And um, we'll also put on uh, any of his socials if he chooses to share them. And, um, you know, be sure to catch us on the next episode. I really am grateful that you're here and you're listening. And um, feel free to reach out and recommend or um let me know what you want to hear and we'll get somebody on the show that we can talk about with whatever that happens to be. All right. Well, Ciao. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun chat, Randy. And yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Oh, you know, when I come down to Belize, we're definitely going to do one there. Maybe it'll be like a yeah, live sure. video and everything. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> we can have a drink in the Palapa. Oh yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm down for that. All right. Awesome. Bye everybody. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today and learning about all things renovation. We hope after listening, you feel even more empowered to take a confident role in your renovation dreams. You can find all additional episodes and resources for all things renovation at our website, allthingsrenovation.com. And if you're ready to make your house feel more like home, you can contact us at woodbeart.com to get started on your dream project now.